At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright and today's guest is Chris Collier. Hello, Chris. Hi, Stuart. Um, today, well, we were just saying there before we started recording, you and I first spoke um Summer 2017, I guess, I'm guessing at the, I'm trying to remember myself, I'm guessing the Phoenix we would have been talking at during the first film festival. Yeah, I think it was, um, it might have even been the last night of 2017. That's always a blur. Nobody can be held account for what they said that night, surely. (laughs) No, that's right. (laughs) But here we are on the podcast. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke about it at the time and at the time we were, we were just, We'd probably finish that day shooting the last little bits of actual footage, and um, yeah, we had a sort of conversation that was, you know, it's not a secret that we're making the film, but we don't want to tell the whole world at this moment. Of course, of and course. Uh, very graciously, you said no, that's fine, and uh, we had a little chat, and yeah, so I'm very grateful for that. And here we are, <laughs> uh, heading in. Well, it feels like spring because I've got a fever now. Spring. Yeah. 2019, and and I guess before, for those people who haven't got ESP, we are talking about the documentary Fright Fest Beneath the Dark Heart of Cinema, which was it its world premiere at Fright Fest last August. Yes. Yeah. So congratulations on that, uh, belatedly. Um, but now you've got a release date. When, when, when's it due out? It's out on the 4th of March on VOD, on uh, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Amazon, uh, Virgin Media, and uh, the, that new YouTube movies thing. Indeed. Well, look, that sounds mm. like all the VOD platforms. That's all the, is, that yeah. all the, is that all the paid-for ones? It's not a subscription yes. one yet, is it? No, no. So they, yeah, they are all paid-for ones at the moment, yeah. Cool. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's correct. Congratulations in the present. So um, if, that, if that's, for those people familiar and listening to this podcast, I'm, I'm going to guess you're familiar with Fright Fest, given that as a podcaster, I have covered it the last five years, doing roughly about 20, 25 podcasts every August with filmmakers who attended the Fright Fest with their films. So I'm guessing my listener is um, is all too familiar with Fright Fest. But 
Do you want to give like your view as to what Fright Fest is for you? And and I guess what I mean by that is what it is for you before you made a, a documentary about it. Yeah. So I guess I mean I have a slightly skewed view of the festival in that from 2011 hmm. I've worked during the festival producing the video content for Fright Fest. Okay. So uh, I think the last film that I saw at Fright Fest actually sat down was in 2011. Right. And I think I saw one film that year. Now, the years before, I'd seen, you know, I'd, I'd been there and I'd seen, you know, most of the films but um, for the preceding two years. But um, so since then, yeah, and definitely from 2012 onwards, I've not seen a whole film. I've mm. seen bits of films. Yeah. Um, so... Um, yeah, I've got a bit of a, a skewed view of the festival. But in those years before that, when I did go, they they were the that was the point where um, I started to change. You know what I did essentially in in the end as as a job. Mm-hmm. Um, in the um, I don't think if I'd gone to Fright Fest. I don't know that I would have made any films. Okay, I think I would have so carried this... on making music and and wanted to make a film. I don't think I would have met the people that where I thought, you know, this this is something that you can do. Now, just 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 for the, my benefit, what what music were you making if, as, that was that was already happening? Um, I um, I've been I all of my life I've been you know in bands and. I was making electronic dance music towards the end. Um, don't get me wrong. It wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, and when I first came to Pride Fest, I was doing a podcast. Oh, um, okay, cool. Um, and watching a lot of movies and still doing bits and pieces of music. But, and, you know, I wanted to make films, but it's not something that really seems... Uh, seems that possible, even though the gear was more available. I guess, yeah, I guess you're, you're, that, that that seed is being planted in you yeah. during a time where the cost to make the cost of kit to make a film is yeah. is fast reducing, isn't it? In terms of access to something that can help you make a film that, for all intents and purposes, for what, and, and what of a better expression, would look professional. You know, there was always cheap equipment. That's right. And, and you yeah. could always tell the difference between a cheap film and an expensive film. And then we jumped that Rubicon, didn't we, with the kind of HD HD ready cameras and now 2K yeah. and 4K that you can buy in the high street <clears throat> or on your bloody phone. <laughs> you, you know, right. With the right with, and with good lighting, you know, you're always you, you can you're winning, aren't you? So, I mean, to back back in 2003, I yeah. I started to make a film. Mm-hmm. And this was just, um, I'd bought a 16 millimeter Russian camera called a Krasnogorsk. Blimey. And, um, we shot, uh, uh, quite a lot of footage. Um, and the film never got made because this was a person who, uh, made music, um, deciding they were going to make a film. Right. Now, you know, I know, I knew how to work the camera and, yeah. um, that, but that was it. Um, so yeah, we, um, you know, spent quite a lot of money on that, um, and realized very quickly there was a lot more to making the film than having the camera and knowing how to work it. 
Um, and then I put that to one side because I just didn't think that it was something I didn't have the people around me that were going to be able to help me do that until I arrived at Brightfest. And suddenly, everywhere you looked, there were people who were doing it. Okay, that's really interesting. That, that idea, that, that that idea of being not just shining bright with your horror peers, but but your uh, budding sort of filmmaker peers and stuff. So, um, before we go any further, I think it's worth. I mean, obviously, it's about fright fest. But do you want yeah. to give a brief synopsis to what your documentary ended up being about, and then we'll unpick that from from that point on? Yeah. Well, the initially they somebody else was going to make a documentary about Frightfest. Okay. Back in 2012. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was um the guys were very involved in that. And that you know from my point of view I I couldn't see how that was ever going to work. There were going to be it was going to be four different films. So that didn't happen. Um I so obviously the idea was there. I talked about it with my production partner Craig <coughs> and this for a long time. Mm-hmm. leading up to when we started to do it just different ideas but we never really kind of came up with anything and then we'd finished one film we were looking for something else to do and i started to think about it again and the main thing that i i thought was the key to it was this idea of a film festival that has more than a you know uh has a a huge effect on people's lives actual changes make makes changes to people's lives mm. so that was one element of the story there was also the that i knew these four guys and knew that they knew about them obviously knew uh, alan's history and i know ian very well and i thought there was a story to tell about those as individuals yeah but more importantly it was about the effect on the people who go to the festival so that was the kind of story we wanted to tell interweave the two things so, did that start off with, hey guys, I'm, I'm working with you on this, the sort of video production side of things for the festival now, I'd like to make a documentary, because that other one seems to have fallen by the wayside, is that okay? Is that literally how you conceived to make it, or was it... Well, not really. I We'd been making a documentary that I won't talk about, because we still might make it at some point, but we, okay. for one reason or another... We stopped making that. And um, it's really hard to explain. When you're making something and then the next day you're not, there's a massive, all of a sudden, you know, we were shooting things, we we were making a film. So you're suddenly desperate to make something else. And I met Ian for lunch to talk about... um, we should, should for shorthand for those people yeah. that aren't familiar. We've got the four the four horsemen, as it were, of Frightfest is Greg Day, Alan Jones, Paul McAvoy, and Ian Ratray. So when you refer to yeah. their first names, that's who we're talking about. So go on, sorry. Yeah, I met Ian Ratray for lunch to talk about um, the festival moving to Shepherd's Bush, which they were about to announce, just to talk about how we were going to do things uh, with regards, you know, their video at the festival. Mm-hmm. And you talk about that for about five minutes and then you talk about the rest of your life for the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. And during that period, I don't even know why I said it. I said you know, we ended up talking about a documentary and I said, well, if I was going to do it, this is what I do. And he said, uh, that sounds like a good idea. Why don't you speak to the other guys? <laughs> so 
we then had a meeting the next week and I said, well, this is what I want to do. And these are, this is what we need to put in place because there were some conditions we'd need to have. And that was that. And, and can, can you talk about the conditions? Is that, I mean, I'm, I'm saying, is that yeah, like- yeah, I mean, the, the, obviously the outside of the contractual things, the, the main things were that they didn't go off and do big, long interviews with other people for the period of the making of the film. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, that I could get um, six hours minimum would be the minimum that I could, you know, if I wanted to go up to six hours of interviewing them, they had to do that. Um, I don't think anybody know, was interviewed for six hours. Um, Greg might have been, actually. Well, it's time to stop Greg talking, eh? <laughs> um, and the last thing was that they wouldn't get, they could see the film first. Mm-hmm. They could give me notes, but I didn't have to act on them. Okay, and, so, so that's a proper yeah. free reign then. That's, that's kind of what I was getting at, really. And it's interesting to sort of hear that from a sort of a filmmaker going into it, because I've done, I've done other documentaries before, and most of them appear, have been more of a, I'm going to document something, and the person's the sub, there's definitely subjects to the documentary, but they don't really, it's obvious they don't have a creative control of it. Whereas, mm-hmm. To do something looking back over 19 years and what is now the 20th year of uh, Fright Fest, mm. there's, there's a there's a there's an important brand there, isn't there, in the middle of it all, yeah. as well as the personal brands of the four people. Because um, I guess you, you, you can't you can't really go wrong pointing a camera at well, but you can. But I'm guessing it's harder to go wrong pointing a camera at a bunch of horror fans at a festival, going, "Why do you like coming to Fright Fest?" And they go, "Way." You know, mm-hmm. everyone's happy to be seen on camera saying yeah. that. Whereas asking asking one of the four founders of the uh, one of the four co founders of the festival, you know, how do you get on? What was yeah. the, what what was it like during this tough time? Is a little bit different, isn't it, in terms of telling the tale? Yeah, yeah, and they they knew that we were going to talk about those things, um, and. I guess they had to trust that I was, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I was going to need to sit in a room with them and show it to them. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not going to go that mad, are you? No, no, no. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I mean, they didn't give me any notes. The only, actually, they, one thing at the end, um, it, it, when I showed it to them, it didn't have any credits. It just said, because there's a bit after the credits, it had some, where and the music was done, it had some, it just said names, names, names going up the screen. Mm. And Paul said, you know, it would be nice if there were some photographs at that point. And I thought, well, that sounds like a nice idea. So that, you know, we put the photo sort of montage over the credits at the end. That, but that's the only thing that they said. The rest of it, they said, no, don't. That's, that's you know, entirely up to you how it is. Well, look, I mean, I, 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 there's a lot of what you cover in the film that, that I can reflect as, a, as, a, as an attendee mm. and as a journalist that's covered the festival um i was lucky enough to um i'd just moved I'd, I'd not been in london a year when the first fright fest happened so i was at the prince charles in 2000 mm. um watching uh, in fact um simon hunter the director of lighthouse was the first yep. ever filmmaker i ever interviewed wow which is kind of bonkers. I mean, there's no, that's hardly kind of coincidence in terms of us doing this doc- conversation about your documentary, yeah. but I can tie my, as much as your documentary ties people into and, and your own story of how you ended up making the documentary about how Fright Fest becomes this kind of bonkers platform 
unofficially or officially for, for for other activities. I think it's quite an interesting, quite an interesting uh, cause and effect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know how to go with that. Um, well, I all I'm thinking yeah. is, is that, that the um, it, it's. I think one of one of one of the people on the on the um, on the documentary says something like, you know, this is what, you can meet all your other weirdo friends that you never knew you met, kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. you and, and weirdos is, is a pejorative word to most people, but in that sense, it's meant with affection because you kind mm. of you, you you live in your own little orbit, your own little universe, and you come to Frightfest and you find, oh, there's not just me in this little universe of horror fandom and sort of transgressive cinema and everything. There's all these other people, and they've got other thoughts, and they've got other ideas, and I mean, I. I, I, it was it, you, you can't as someone that's been a lot. You can't help but watch with fondness. Certainly, the footage you've got of the sleepy queue, for example, which obviously the internet has now sadly um, got rid of, as it were. Um, but it was. I've got I've got friends that I met in the sleepy queue. I've still got to this day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think you capture that element of the festival really well. The the idea that you kind of make. Making friends at a festival, and I've been to other festivals, you know, fortunately for myself around the world, and mm. it's it's not it's not usual no. that you kind of make such strong connections with people you meet in a cinema. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very strange. I mean, I don't know how many friends I've made at the festival—an enormous amount—and um, and I, and I probably made less friends than most other people because I've been working, um, mm. and it's. Yeah, it is incredibly strange thing. Now, and, go, going yeah. in, going into a documentary where you've got perceived views of what it is, and then making a documentary uh, and having a view of it based on what you've been able to film. What do you think? What What do you think changed in your understanding of Frightfest from having made the documentary you didn't go into the festival with? Um. Well, I mean, it, it changed halfway through anyway because of the Empire Cinema. Okay. So we, I got a, you know, a really strong connection with that cinema. I don't know. There's something about the Empire that I, immediately the minute I went there, I thought this is a, you know, fantastic cinema. Hmm. Um, leaving there was, um, it was, you know, it's a real shame. And it's a real shame that cinema's not as it was. But we thought when we started the film, that it was likely that the festival would either stay in Shepherd's Bush or return, but to a multiplex cinema. Mm-hmm. It was only after shooting for about six months that I think um, it was when I interviewed Paul McAvoy that he said, look, this is between us, but we've been, you know, talking, talking to them and it, it, it's possible that it might happen. And at that point, I started to sort of, without telling any of the, the Fright Festers that I was interviewing that there was a possibility, just saying, look, where would you want the festival to be uh, if you could choose? Mm. And the vast majority said the Empire. Um, so we kind of fed that element in as well. So the the festival ends, uh, begin the film begins at the end of the Empire and ends at the beginning of going back to the empire and and obviously we then tell the rest of the film in the flash but it was planned to be something totally different because we didn't think we'd have that uplifting sort of we're back at the empire and the prince charles bit but that just happened 
So he sort of had to develop the film around that as it happened. It was going to start at the Shepherd, uh, Shepherd's Bush and then be told in a flashback leading up to a festival. A much simpler mm. sort, of, sort of story. So, you, so once you got wind of that, you kind of started to work on the basis that that might be where you end your story. You kind of, you kind of foresaw yeah. your, your finale, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. That's we, um, and, um, Craig, who edited the film, when, when we start, when you start to have the footage and you've got enough that you can start to put the structure in place. Yeah. We, by the time we were editing, we were pretty sure it was going to be back at the Empire. So we started to build the structure around it beginning at the Empire and ending at the Empire. Now, I have to ask, because obviously you, you having that clear idea of where you wanted to take the narrative, um, it's clear to anyone that gets that, that sees the, the film that, that, that Greg Allen, Paul and Ian might well be the faces of Frightfest, but they're, very, they're four very different people. Yeah. Um, in terms of it, and I think your your document. I mean, in a very simplistic sense, it's like it's like if you think it's like I feel like it's like the A team. It's like they've all got a certain set of skills, but none of them none of them none of them come together unless it's the festival. It's kind of you know get them any any other situation, and they kind of it appears like they're at, you know they're at loggerheads in terms of the way their personalities are. You know, Ian's yeah. this 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 man of the you know the logistics. Uh, Paul, Paul's the fanboy. Greg, Greg's like the you know the man who wants to send, send, send the message out to as many people as we can. And obviously, Alan is sort of from his background, he's ingrained in the, you know he's like the the film industry sort of beacon. You know, people yeah. know him through through you know through decades of film, I suppose, as a journalist. So he he he's sort of got that kudos to him. But as individuals, you you you've got these other narratives that they're telling you. How are you not tempted to? not run off down down any 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 blind alleys they might send you when when you're interviewing them um well i before i went to interview them i mean i read as much as i could about them that you know outside of what i knew from knowing them mm. i mean and there was enormous amount of material on alan you know there yeah. are books and books and um <clears throat> that he appears in and he appears in a number of punk books and so i knew what i, I knew what i you know you try to get it so you know what you're going to get before you ask it anyway so i kind of knew why i wanted them to say and where i wanted it to go hmm. i mean there's obviously a year in the film uh that when people see it they'll see it it has these sort of chapters where it tells you the year and two in 2012 hmm. was a particularly difficult year well i worked with them in 2012 and i was at the each morning there's a production meeting before the for the day that goes ahead so i saw firsthand what 2012 was like so when it came to asking them about difficult times you know there wasn't any point sort of skating around it because i'd been there and Seen yeah, it. yeah, I suppose, yeah. I suppose if you'd right. seen it, you're not, you're not sort of prying, are you? You're just more. Right. It's more like clarification as to how yeah, they felt. Because about... at the time, I guess it would have been white hot, wouldn't it? Whereas looking back, you've got the benefit of hindsight, haven't you? That's right. And their their relationships de <clears throat> developed from then. You know, it was that was a difficult time where things maybe could have uh, blown up, but they've all got a little bit older and worked around. 
Um, I think Greg explains it in the film. You know, they've got used to ha- the differences between each of them. I guess as well. I mean, thinking back, like 2012, it would, it was almost like the festival had got big. Yeah. And I guess their awareness of how big it was came in the shape of how adversely people can react and how loud that can be suddenly. Because it's, yeah. I guess it's easy, and I, say, I don't say that lightly. It's easy when everything's going well to sort of mm. enjoy it and go along with it, and any kind of any kind of fractured in, in terms of the working relationships kind of get ironed out because everything's going okay. But then when things don't go okay, you kind of the opposite happens, doesn't it? It it, it, it makes it makes those issues bigger rather than smaller. Yeah, I mean the festival had got to such a size. And they were still the same people were running it when it had been, you know, the quarter of the size. Um, and they, I think it just, at that point, it, they obviously got the message that they needed some more help. And then that's when they brought in a uh, festival manager. Mm. And um, things started to change again. But, yeah, I don't think, um, back to your question, I think it, going down any sort of, Ali, I don't think there was, there's, you know, I could, you could get too involved in any sort of, you know, arguments between them and make the film more about that. Cause I don't think it would be engaging for a particularly long period of time. No, 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 it just I, I wasn't, like it wasn't so guys that. Arguing. It's but, not so um, much that. It's just that they, 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 they both, they, they have strong ideas and strong views about how they see the festival and stuff. And I just thought it, yeah. it, it just is, <clears throat> it just would have been, it could have been tempting. Yeah, to get excited by that in the moment, yeah. and obviously, like I say, end up being blind alleys. So you end up coming back to your idea. Yeah. Um, but I thought uh, congratulations as well on on because I think for, for for all of us that may have been there from the start or you know the last two years or whatever it might be, you mm. may well be aware of who's in charge of the festival, but you might not know them. And I think in the festival, you you really efficiently bring us up to speed as to who they are and how these people end you know end up being one quarter of a you know world famous horror film festival and i think the the the, the the sort of a brevity and efficiency of which you bring all that together so we understand also who the a part of their personality as well i think it really informs that yeah thanks um it's um that part of it and the you know there were parts of it where it, when we were editing it it was just like this bit needs to be faster we need to get through this faster <laughs> and it it needed to be Okay. You know, some of those bits are snappy. You know, the, the bit at the end, there was, I think, um, there are, I'm sure you know Damon Rickard. Um, mm. I remember talking to him when we were in editing and we'd been, we were still a way away from finishing and I was absolutely demoralized by the whole thing. And, uh, and I was saying, oh, because the last 45 minutes of the film, which became, I think, probably about the last 15 minutes of the film, we just couldn't get through because it you needed to once you got to the point where you leave the empire you just need to get back to the empire because mm. the story's already been told before then and it's about getting through that but in telling the story we've still got to tell the story and it was telling it in the briefest possible way we went to shepherd's bush you know getting drawn into what happened at shepherd's bush other than we went there and that was you know and the emotion of that it's about getting back to the empire really 
there, there are, you know, for a long time there were, we went to Shepherd's Bush and we talked about some of the films and, but fortunately we managed to get that, that part down. And obviously the first 30 minutes of the film is, well, it's that in, that came down to, I think about the first 10 minutes of the film is getting us to Fright Fest. There's that bit, you know, before we even start talking about Fright Fest, which, mm. I think you need to tell because it sets up Alan and Paul and Ian and Greg. No, but, no, that's what I think. I think that's what. But it's it, getting it short enough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd, like I say, I think to be applauded really because I think that helps sets the scene. So then, when you have the other revelations later, which again are things you wouldn't necessarily have seen even attending the festival, it, it lends that all. It lends that all the more weight, doesn't it? Um, mm. So um, the other side of this is not just obviously about the the four personalities that, that run the festival because. One of the big successes, as we as we said at the at the outset, is the fan base and the audience themselves <clears throat> that the that the the festival has spawned. And you you've you've chosen to sort of pick a few individuals that you've you've sort of focus on mm. along the way of the of the telling of the documentary. So, what was your process there, getting those people involved, or was that quite natural? And then, how did you go about sort of planning that? Because obviously. They're not. They're not. They're not as involved as, say, the people that run the festival in sort of wanting a wanting a documentary to to succeed or fail. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, some of the people, um, uh, Phil Newton, who's in the film, is also the production manager on the film, and I've known Phil for you know years and years and years. Mm. He he'd been <coughs> since. The first year and before that, he'd been to Black Sunday and various other festivals. So um, I worked with him to pick the initial people. Uh, and some of those were people that we knew. So um, Terrain and Kin Tun, um, uh, we knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I won't go through a list of it. Some of the people we knew, there were sort of three okay, or four okay, that, were, that were people we'd known over the festival and thought... <coughs> Oh yeah, well, I know a bit about them, and I think they've got a, might have a you know a story to tell. Certainly, Terrain and his dad coming to the festival was something that we, we definitely wanted to tell because it's a, you know, so, so yeah, a really nice story. It's just it really is quite beautiful. <laughs> um, and then there were other people that I didn't know, but I um, like uh, Katie Bonham and Damon and Annette. I knew of their short films, and I thought, well. I need to reach out to these people, even though I've never spoken to them before. Mm. Um, which seems odd in that we've been going for all that time. But like I say, during the festival, you're working, you don't really meet as many people. But, so I chose those um, out of, I thought they would have a story to tell in that I think Fright Fest had led to them making films or mm. certainly had an influence on them. Um, and then there were people like, um, Jake West and uh, Dominic Brunt that you think, well, you know, I, I couldn't talk about the Serbian film and censorship without talking to Jake. And um, Dominic, if I could set it up, I thought that his story of somebody, you know, who's a very successful actor on yeah. TV and then has decided to become a director and Fright Fest actually has had a huge impact on on his life, even though he's already successful um and and you know some of the people then other people said well have you thought about talking to so and so and some of those people i talked to and some i didn't it it yeah it was um so a combination of sort of plan 
planned and yeah. identified and then a bit of, bit of organic where yes. yeah. names popped up where it sort of seemed once they were mentioned, you're kind of like, yeah, it's obvious I should... I should, yeah, I should get them involved, and when you heard what they said, you were like, "Yeah, this was right for the for the documentary." Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that, you know, there was a couple of people we we spoke to, and then we didn't use it in the documentary, but um, in the main, um, yeah, everyone we spoke to we used. Now, in filmmaking, they they um they they talk about killing your babies, which uh, seems apt when we're talking about fright fest, but. Uh, in reality, what that means is <laughs> it's, a, it's a really vulgar yeah. metaphor for uh, losing stuff you'd rather keep. Um, so it, I'm guessing there's there's a bit of a cutting room floor. Um, oh my god! Of footage it's... of stuff oh. that we, that you would have loved to have kept, but uh, but that stu- the, the anecdote or whatever didn't fit. Is there anything you can you can yeah. you can tell us now that, that that didn't make it, but is still a f- sort of fun anecdote that you learned while making the documentary. Well... We've been thinking, we've been looking at footage recently, actually, because at some point, hopefully, within the next year, we will crowdfund a physical release. Oh, fantastic! But um, so we, but we want to make sure that that isn't just the film; it's lots of other stuff. So we've been looking at deleted scenes, and um, and and some scenes that would be extended. Um, the thing that we, I sat with Craig and we watched uh, a chunk that was about Simon Rumley and his films. And as we watched it, we were like, "This should be in the film." But actually, <laughs> you, and and when we cut it out, it, for ages he said, "You're going to need to cut that out." And I, I really didn't want to lose it. And then we were watched it. You feel like it should be in the film, but there's nowhere to put it in the film. Um, so that would be really nice if we can get that so that people can see it at some point because it just, talks just, about just, the living just, and the dead. Yeah, just just because I think that's an interesting thing for people, filmmakers listening to this, is that the idea that something's good but it doesn't fit mm. is an unusual challenge, isn't it? Because obviously, on the one hand, your brain's going, "This is fantastic," and then on the other side, of your brain's going, "But it just messes up what we've got," which is kind of contradictory, isn't it? Yeah, it it it's, it is about keep you know, particularly with something like this, is about keeping it fast enough that people are engaged and 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 keeping it to a sensible length mm. um and yeah and that that in particular just was a little bit too long and it slowed uh, where it happened would have to have happened mm. it would have slowed it down but it was it was good because that film um the living in the dead had a had a big emotional impact on some people and there was some stories around that so i won't spoil that but at some point hopefully people can see that Brilliant. there was a chunk about glasgow which i mean one thing that people have said to me is why didn't you talk about glasgow we had a bit about glasgow but it it didn't really fit and it any it, it just felt like it was put in there just because we needed to talk about glasgow when we didn't really so, and, and again, this is this thing. I think, that you know, we don't we, we don't take for granted when you're watching just a fictional narrative that there's a there's a way that the narrative functions that that helps make it dramatic and gives you your either up or your down resolution at the end of the story. Whereas, it's 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 often, especially I guess when people are close to the subject and they, like you know, why is the glass going on? Why is this? You know, it's like these are the things that they maybe attach importance to, but yeah. But a documentary isn't about everything, is it not? It's about a story as much as it is yeah. about highlighting. And, and I think <clears throat> I think one of the things you can definitely definitely be uh, sort of a, a, a 
applauded about is that you, 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 you give us the context, you give us, you give us what it is, but you also, I, I, I felt like, and I don't know whether that's because I've been a lot, but there is an emotional ride for you to go on, even on stuff you didn't know about before you watched the film. And then there's this idea of getting things cemented that you were, that you, you, you thought you knew, and then you kind of go, oh, <laughs> you know, mm. while you're watching. So, but I think there's also just generally that, the, 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 and I think it's exemplified in your, um, in your, in your trailer with Greg saying, you know, if you were to put a load of money to one side and say, let's make a festival, would you pick these four people? Um, but in a way, it is the four people that have made the festival this magnet for the people that have, that now make the festival. It's kind of like a, it's become a circular thing, hasn't it? The people who come and the people that run it are as important as each other. Neither are more important than one another, if that isn't too hippy-dippy. No, no, I think that's that's absolutely correct. I mean, it really is. I mean, and there is, that's actually, there's a few bits, little anecdotes that, again, we'll, we'll try and get out that kind of exemplify that. Hmm. But there was no room for them. There was a story that Ian tells about Paul in Cannes meeting Federico Zampag, the only out somewhere, hmm. and saying this guy, who they didn't know, it was obviously an Italian pop star, he's going to turn up tomorrow and show us his film, which was Shadow. And they all went, uh, and Alan knew he was and said, well, that's not going to happen. Next day, he turns up, shows them the film. <laughs> and that's, you know, so, you know, that I'm sure a lot of people that are just, just Paul's met them somewhere. And, uh, you know, they've said, oh, yeah. I, and he's, he's, oh, he's uh, as they say in the film, his networking is unbelievable. His energy is unbelievable. Yeah. I don't know where he gets it from. Um, yeah. But uh, one final thing to ask then. So for you, for you sort of having been a, a sort of punter and then, then a sort of an employee of the festival, then a documentarian, uh, and then obviously through making this documentary, what's been, what was your favourite revelation to uncover for you personally that, you know, had you not made the documentary, you'd still be none the wiser? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think it was, it, you know, at the beginning, it was an an idea that other people's lives had been hugely affected by the festival. Hmm. To actually discover that that was the case, and that, you know, well, I spoke to a, there's a guy called Mitch who's uh, interviewed on the film, and again he came from exactly the same position that it's had a huge effect on his life and you think well thank goodness that, that i was right and it was not just me um who thinks that but um there are there is one thing in particular but i don't want to say because it's after the credits and it's absolutely a baffling thing okay well no we'll leave, 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 leave it hanging that. Then. leave that <laughs> hanging don't don't no don't don't yeah that was a shock when uh when uh basically <laughs> that um how Alan and Greg met that was that was uh, that's a peculiar story that's not in the film um but I'll leave you hanging on that as well that but that is incredibly bizarre but it's on a film set somewhere and um let's say it involves a siege <laughs> I'm after ask Greg about that myself uh so um having talked to people that attend and having been an attendee yourself and for, for the listener out there that's never been to a fright fest um what would you, what would you, how would you sum up the appeal of five days sitting in the dark at the height of summer? 
over an August bank holiday? What 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 keeps people coming back for that? Why? I think it is the part of it is how the festival is is programmed in that you'll get um, it. Uh, you know, the films are not all fantastic and fortunately they're not all terrible, but you get a, this, you know, um, such a incredible blend of, of different films, mm-hmm. whether it's a, you know, a low budget film from the UK. And then, you know, we saw the film, uh, the festival finished with, you know, climax last year, yeah, which is, you know, um, so there's that, the programming of the festival, but outside of that, it's the um, it's the fact that when you're in the screen, um, I don't know. There's a peculiar etiquette that is okay. It can be a bit um, switch off your mobile phone and you know don't make any noise, which is a good thing. Um, but also the fact that everybody will talk to everybody else, which you wouldn't necessarily think would would be something that would happen in a cinema. And I don't think it is it. I mean, I've not been as, to as many festivals as you. Um, is that that to me seems a an oddity? Is that about them everybody having the set seat? Do you think? I think that's part of it. I mean, I've been to Brussels Fantastic Festival, which uh, Fantasy Festival, which has a personality similar in the sense that the audience know the rules of their role in the in the in the festival as much as the filmmakers who show the films, and I think that's part of it. And, and like you say, the, the the sort of switch off your mobile phones has almost become its, its own, you know, its own cult mm. of the festival because they almost don't have to make the films anymore to to sort of advertise the fact. Yeah, it's like, it's like one of the best self policing thing, and it's almost like woe betide, mm. woe betide any kind of person who's just come for one film that isn't familiar yeah. with the rules of Fright Fest because you're guaranteed now that maybe a dozen might tell you to switch your phone off. Mm. Um, which can be a bit hysterical at times, um, but yeah, no, I think it, I think it's that, and I don't, I don't, yeah, I festivals I've been to, you kind of you go in, you go out, you don't. I mean, and I, I mean, I must admit, I'm I'm now skewed by the fact that you go to these things as a as a journalist. So you're not always, you know, you're going from one thing yeah. to the next. So it's a different experience, but you know, I just I think that that the, the, the community of horror filmmakers. And I think Mark Kimode said it a few years back when the Child's Play reboot was was. Um, was on where it's like the, he said they have a what is it the cinemas now have mother and baby sorry parent and baby screenings they should have horror film fan screenings because they respect the film more yeah and I think that's what you get that's my favorite bit of Fright Fest is the idea I can sit and watch a film and know I'm not have to keep looking around to make sure someone's going to disturb my enjoyment of it and that's what I, I, you know one of the things I love and then in the in the fight afterwards there's a fervor and a want to talk about it. And then almost like like football fans almost, before that conversation's finished, you talk about the next one. Yeah. And like what you're excited about, that thing you've not seen. And I think that's, to me, that's always been part of it. Well, look, sir, let's, um, let's remind everybody, how can they see Fright Fest beneath the dark heart of cinema? Uh, well, it is available on, uh, from the 4th of March on, uh, from the Google Play Store. YouTube movies, um, uh, iTunes, Amazon, and I and Virgin Media, which I don't know what that is, but I'm told that it's there. If you've got a TiVo box, which is what I've got for Virgin, you basically right. have an option to point at 
Virgin right. Movies, and then you know, like like you would do if you were looking at okay. Netflix or whatever. But then when you click on it, you pay for it through your account. Right. Okay. Like you would do if you were buying an iTunes rental or something. All straightforward and easy. So, so for the fourth of March, people can watch it at their leisure, and hopefully leisure. in the in the not too distant future, there will be a crowdfunding for a physical thing where maybe a whole Blu-ray full of information of deleted scenes and and and, and stories that didn't quite fit the documentary get to have a home. Yeah, but that that's you know that's going to be down the road a, a bit. So no yeah. pressure, Chris. No pressure. No. <laughs> well, look, thanks very much for your time on the podcast. Thank you. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Oh, yeah.